Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Well, welcome, folks, to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Your host, Steve Fielder, with you one more time. So grateful for the opportunity to visit with you each week on this podcast. Uh, we got to thank uh, Al Gore for inventing the Internet. Ha ha. And uh, making it possible for us to stream these uh uh, podcast sessions out there to you all across the country and even around the world, if you can imagine that. Uh, today, I want to thank, first of all, before we go any further, my uh, dear friends at DU Hunting Supply, uh, W Hunting Supply out there in Washington State, Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie, all the staff out there for providing me this opportunity. And guys, if you need anything for your hounds your hunting uh, activities and all these guys have it they got a great website it's very easy to get on there dusupply.com and they absolutely service what they sell and have customer service that i think is second to none well i'm really excited today uh, to bring to the mic a guy that I've known for quite a while. I first met him when I went to work for PKC. Uh, we may have met at the uh, UKC Winter Classic in Albany, Georgia, when I was a, a UKC man. I'm not sure, and we'll clear that up. But at any rate, I'm just really uh, happy to have uh, uh, this guy here, Mr. Mark Israel from Smithfield, Georgia. How are you doing, Mark? Hey, I'm fine, Steve, and I hope you're doing well. I am. I, as the old saying is, much better than I deserve for sure. Uh, gee, it's good to have you on the podcast. I know you and I have talked a little bit on the phone in preparation for this, but I know you're a busy man, and it's kind of harvest season down there in Georgia, isn't it? It is. Uh, peanuts and cotton and soybeans are being harvested right now. Yeah. Yeah, and you do quite a bit of farming. That's kind of your day job, isn't it? It is. Yes, it is. That <laughs> among a few other things. <laughs> well, I talked with you a little bit there, and you told me you're running a farm supply business, and uh, and that's uh, there, aren't you, as your, your parents, like all of us, unfortunately. I've lost my parents, but you're you're fortunate enough to still have yours. My mother is about to turn 91, but, but my father's declining and and a few years ago i took i took the business over actually for for no compensation and uh at that time but i didn't know it it would i didn't know it would last this long and then (laughs) i formed my father's farm for him and and then i formed it it changes every year 12 1500 acres maybe um you know for my own income i got you it's kind of like podcasting it sounds like uh i i do this every week but so far i haven't gotten the first check i'm, I'm still waiting <laughs> on that one <laughs> it, 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 if i may bring up one thing absolutely uh, be, before this thing goes too far i i really appreciate you asking me to be a guest in and I wouldn't know why anyone would want to hear anything I had to say. But there's something else I want to mention. You are one of a kind 
And <laughs> thank <only> God. <laughs> one, yeah, well, you're one of a kind in, in, in the hound and, and hunting world. To my knowledge, there's nobody else like you and, and an icon to people like me. You, well, you managed you, to, to stay involved with several different registries and promote coon hunting nonstop for how many years now? Well, it's been a long time, but I, I first started, I guess, down that professional uh, path uh, back in 1978 as a field rep for UKC and then went there full time in 1983. So pretty much full 11 and then writing and, and doing the podcasting. But you're very kind. I appreciate that, Mark, very much. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk to you because you have got a story that we're going to get into here <laughs> in just a little bit that yeah. no, I'm going, I'm going to stick my neck out here. I think you have a story that no other coon hunter could tell. And uh, that's why I brought you, not really the only reason, because you have been a very active coon hunter, an influential coon hunter, a leader, and I want to talk about all that. But uh, the story that we're going to share with our listeners in just a little bit, I think, uh, is as you see the title of this uh podcast they're going to know a little bit about what we're talking about but you come from a part of the country there in southwest georgia is that right yes sir i did six generations of us right here right there in the same place where you are now and that's my family my family walked in here and settled and made treaties with the indians believe it or not isn't that amazing that's amazing. You know, I I digress here just a little bit. When I came to that part of the country for the first time was when I was with UKC. Of course, I'd driven through Georgia, but mainly it was through southeast Georgia coming down uh, Highway 301 or 321 or whatever, going to Florida from my home in, in West Virginia. But I came to that kind of generally that part of the world the first time when we started the UKC uh, Winter Classic in Albany, Georgia. And that's, well, that's east of you. How far are you from Albany? About 30 miles. Yeah. I'm about 30 miles north of Albany, 26 miles. I gotcha. So it was a, a classic coon hunt in the Deep South or the Old South, I think we said, because yes, I was just taken by the history there, the beautiful, beautiful uh, plantations, uh, the homes that were just incredible. And um, I just fell in love with the area, honestly, from from the first time that Fred Miller and I flew in there and uh, – and went with uh, Becky Salimi of the Chamber of Commerce and drove out to the community center in South Dartry uh, County, their, uh, their community center, and, uh, and saw that. And, and Fred said, as we drove down that tree-lined drive, he said, this is the spot, Steve. I think we found it. And uh, I, I agreed. We meet when I was at the UKC, or did was that later when I went to PKC? You know, 
I knew who you were when you were with PKC and, and, but I'm not sure. I'll be honest. I'm not yeah. sure if we ever met. I met so many people as I became a board member with PKC and state president. But I, I know at that point in time, it, there was a, oh, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and, and no one wanted, and PKC wanted to upset UKC when, when y'all had the winter classic in Albany, the PKC held a hunt in Thomasville called the Sunshine Jamboree, and uh, correct, and and we always avoided that date, whatever date. We'd wait for the UKC to set their date, and then we would set ours a week or so later, or maybe earlier, but most of the time later. And and when I was elected president, the first meeting I was at. With some of my friends and LeVan Kennedy and Craig Hart. Yeah, LeVan. Nick Alberson. Right. Steve Parrish, Woody McCall. Fortunate enough to be friends with, with some men that were great sportsmen. And, Absolutely. And, and, and owned powerful, powerful hounds. There was a point in time when this little area in Georgia, we had a two-time national leading female and a two-time national champion, you know, right here in my yard. But but we held a meeting, and and uh, we were talking about it, and they said, well, the Winter Classic has set their date on top of, you know, when we usually have our hunt. And I had just become hmm. the state president for Georgia. I had just been elected. And my first move after talking to some of my closest friends, I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, y'all. When I go to the world, when a classic, <laughs> and we're going adver- to advertise it as a chance for hunters to hunt the nights. If they can't hunt in the winter classic, come hunt with us. And I yeah. said, actually, it's going to probably make the UK bad because my first board of directors meeting was held under a tent in Aurora, Kentucky, and uh, it was pouring rain. And Woody mm. McCorkle, who had been the state president for the entire time PKC was here, I mean, it was – when I took over, you know, I wouldn't say it was in its infancy, but but it hadn't been around very long. And uh, and I sat out at that table with Mr. Roy Tramble and Jarvis, and I told them that I was going – I was going to put put the Sunshine Jamboree on top of the Winter Classic, and I thought I thought Mr. Jarvis is going to flip that table over. <laughs> he he said, "Man, we just can't do that. We don't want to. We don't want to start a war." And I told him, "You know, after a few minutes of me convincing them, you know, they decided to go along with, with it." And and really good thing for UKC and for PKC. Maybe UKC lost a few guides, you you know. But well, I'll but, speak but it, to that there in in just a minute. Uh, yeah, Mark, actually, but, it, it was. And and my in my eyes, in my opinion, it turned out to be a great thing for UKC and PKC, and especially the the coon hunters. Who that was kind of when I went in the office, I I did everything I could to. To make things better for the average hunter, you know, sure, sure. most pro hunters they 
at that point in time, they had somebody, <clears throat> you know, backing them financially. And so I worked. Everything I did was for the average everyday coon hunter right. that went to open events. And and uh, yeah. and I think I think that one move made things a lot easier for for everyone. Well, it, it certainly worked out. And it, yes, I'm sure that we weren't all that excited probably <laughs> when we <laughs> heard about that. But I will say you mentioned Woody McCorkle. And, um, you know, putting together a hunt like the Winter Classic requires, and as you know with the Sunshine Jamboree, requires quite a guide network, and you've got to have a lot yeah. of help. And uh, and right away, the UKC Winter Classic started drawing a great number of people from the north to come down to the, the Southland, you know, at a time of year when it was all iced in up there. And also, we did... Uh, uh, you know, we kind of did the same thing. We wanted to to have a hunt to compete with the Grand American, which was an AKC yeah. and and ACHA, I guess maybe. Coracle was a guy that always, as long as I was associated with UKC and at the Winter Classic each year, he always provided me five guides, always. You could set your watch by the man with the little um, fedora hat that's going to come walking up and say, I got you five tonight, Steve. I didn't ask him for 10. I didn't ask him for 15. He told me he could provide me five. He always provided me five guides. And uh, I loved Woody. He was a great guy. I really was saddened when I heard that he had passed away. And uh, so he was just an example of the of a lot of you mentioned Levan Kennedy. Levan was the guy that I worked with right away in getting guides together for the Winter Classic, you know, and uh, went out and hunted with Levan the first year uh, that I was there. And uh, just so many people, you know, you can't put my dad used to tell me, he said, <laughs> he was, of course, my dad was a union pipe fitter, you know, and he and I uh, always had discussions about that. But he told me he'd always say there's no one man automobile factory, Steve. And I'd you know, and I'd say, yeah, but without that guy that puts his uh, uh, signature on the line, you know, to to build that plant or whatever, uh, you're not going to have a job. And around and around we go, you know. And I got a lot of friends that are in union, so I don't want to start that war here. But at any rate, my dad would say that to me. Well, that is true when you're putting on a major coon hunt. You know, it's a lot of work, and it's a vast volunteer army of people that come together to make it happen. I just saw – um, where um, PKC was thinking all the guides and judges and everybody who helped put on their recent world hunt in Salem. World. And, you know, and it absolutely is. It's You can't say enough about those people who leave their dog at home, uh, don't get a chance at all those prizes and trophies and that uh, eight minutes of fame or whatever, you know, just so we can go out there and have a good time. So I'm That's glad exactly you brought that right. up. Yep, yep, for it sure. It was, it was, 
it was hard work. I actually guided for the Winter Classic for a couple of years before, maybe three before we. Actually, I guided for for a year before I ever coon hunt. Before I was actually started competition hunting myself. I see. And then, I mean, it was kind of a whirlwind for me. Nick Alverson, I, I don't know. Nick Alverson, which I had a lot of really, really, we had a close-knit group of of hunters here, Paul Sheffield. Hmm. Every time he and I went somewhere, Paul and I roomed together. And and uh, Nick Alverson, Buzz Register, Dennis Griffin, uh, Steve Parrish, I'm, and I, I know I won't name them all, but we were a close-knit group. But Nick in particular, he he helped me when I started. Nick helped me become accepted. Coon hunters, or at least in this part of the world, something they're a little bit clicky. And mm-hmm. and Nick and Nick slid me right in to become accepted. And then within a year, you know, probably within a year of that, I was the state president for, for PKC. It all happened in a hurry. I was I was accepted and people trusted me and believed in me. And actually, they, after I became the president, I mean, that was an election, but nobody even looked to see everybody had so much faith in me that, that I never even thought nobody ran against me. And, uh, and it was out of way all the way up to the, to the day mm-hmm. I resigned. And, and, well, and those you, guys, I love every one of them. Sure. Sure. Well, w- none of us would be, um, here it, without the help of our friends and especially That's our coon exactly. hunting friends, you know, means so much. Okay. Yeah. Mark, now you grew up. On a farm, I'm assuming. Your dad's yes, a lifelong farmer, right? Yes, sir. Uh, what are we, some of your earliest memories of, of growing up as a farm kid in, in southwest Georgia? Hard work, mostly. Pulling weeds. And my father didn't believe in, in entitlement. <laughs> <laughs> we, he, he was, which my father, you know, I was young, but I, it was there was five of us. And we all pulled weeds and picked up pecans, and there were there were no cell phones. I remember we, you know, we had pecan trees, you know, on some of these farms. And in the fall, my father and mother load us up in trucks and give us all a coffee can and a croaker sack, and they go put us out in a pecan grove and go home. You know, Daddy'd go to the farm and Mama'd go home, and there were no cell phones or. Or any means of contact, and some of those places were remote, and uh, they put us out. And <laughs> when they come back, they expected us to have a a crooked sack full of peanut, uh, pecans. But but uh, most of it was was just hard work. I mean, a lot of physical labor. And actually, my mother my mother taught me to be a shotgunner. She I. You know, shooting does is a tradition in, in this part of the oh, world. Oh, yeah. And my father was always so wrapped up trying to run a farm and a farm supply and building a, a world for, for five kids hunting and taught me hmm. 
deer hunting, I had to learn on my own because the first deer season, I was of age and, you know, I, I, I was self-taught at that. But my mother actually taught me to, to be a shotgunner. And, mm. uh, and she, I killed my first dove sitting on my knees right in front of her. She was sitting on a five-gallon bucket. Sure did. Isn't that amazing? You remind me of my grandmother in Tennessee. Uh, she raised nine children on a on a small farm. My grandfather was legally blind, and he passed when I was six years old. My grandmother, uh, you know, raised three boys: my dad and his two brothers, and then he, she raised six girls. And she taught everybody to shoot. And uh, yeah, we the story in the family was uh, when Grandma was uh, about eighty, past eighty, a, a hawk. We call she called it a chicken hawk. I imagine it was a red tail right. hawk was getting in her chickens, you know, and it flew down and and lit in a uh, tree down there toward the creek, and she stood on the front porch with a twenty two rifle. And open sights and killed that hawk, which you know was probably not legal, but uh, he was bothering Grandma's chickens, you know. So, coming from that kind of background, I can I can see that picture, Mark, of you there yes, with sir. your mother at a, at a dove field. You know, you mentioned things there. It just I I uh, uh, I, I try to to pick up on the culture of the areas that I go to. And being there in that part, of, you mentioned two things. You called the the nut that's so popular down there a pecan. Some people that's call right. them pecans. You pecan, know? Yes, yeah. And, and you also mentioned a croaker sack, which is a burlap sack. Burlap sack, and, yes, sir. But you put, if you went frog gigging, you put your frogs in that sack. And I, I imagine that's that. where that name Croker sack came from, don't you think? Possibly did. <laughs> I, I did a lot of frog digging. Oh, yeah. My father actually got one hound in his life, a lot bigger place. And uh, he got it. They brought his hound, his hound, his hound come in on a train. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went over and picked it up in a little town called, it, it's a community of his hound, but I don't think that hound amounted to much. And, and I was actually lured into coon hunting. My family owns a pretty nice piece of chunk of land. Yeah, you know, tell us more several, about your yeah, family. Several. Feel free to discuss that. That's, that's yeah. right. My family owns, you know, several thousand acres of land, all of us combined. And and, and I had two friends that coon hunted that were neighbors of mine. And... To be honest, I think they wanted me, they were inviting me to go coon hunting. So, you know, they had better access to our property, probably. But, uh, <laughs> okay. but it, it got me started and, and, uh, I bought a hound. The first hound I think I bought, Nick Alverson let me hunt an old walker hound he had in the pen. He said, ain't nobody hunting him. Just come get him and hunt him. And I mean, I could hunt a lot. I was probably an expert woodsman, but 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 not a coon hunter. And, and uh, he told me just to come get that dog, hunt it, and I I hunted that dog. Well, then I bought a dog from James Ed Curtis, a young dog that just didn't pan out, and that started my journey. 
And, uh, and over the years, I guess I lowered my standards and bought a, bought a hound. And when he didn't pan out, I would lower my standards and buy another one. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I was looking for the dog I saw in all the ads, you know. Oh, yeah. Never dreaming that, that I would have at least three hounds better than most of the dogs in those ads, but but I, I was fortunate. Somewhere along, I met up with a dog named Ponte Dan. He's the one that, as far as for being a hunter, he's the one that... Let's talk was, about Dan a little bit. Uh, Walker dog? Yes, sir. He was a grandson out of Pac-Man, and, and actually, Russ Bella came all the way down to see him at a hunt. He wanted to buy him because... He looked like Pac-Man and sounded almost exactly like Pac-Man from what people that hunted with Pac-Man. But he, he would, he would find a way to win. He all, he, you know, especially when he was a younger dog, he got old, he got hunt wise, you know, a little bit hunt wise, but, uh, but he, he found a way to win. He, he won me to do back-to-back state championships and thousands upon thousands of dollars and we go have a hunt back then but i think they eliminated us from having them but we'd have a cow cutter and every time we went dan had always bring the most money because everybody knew he was going yeah you know, that's he's pulled, the dog yeah, the money was on yeah yeah when you pull up at a hunt and that when you're walking in that a register and everybody looks up and said are you gonna try to hunt tonight are you gonna split and i hadn't even entered to hunt yet <laughs> you you know you packing a pretty i got you. a pretty powerful hound i had another one right at the end that, then mr jimmy hunted it a good bit he was a really rest i was burned out from you know from phone calls, I'm, you faced it. I, I, I don't. I don't have to explain it to you, but maybe some of these people. I was sitting with, with the proliferation of of handheld cell phones. I was sitting in a restaurant in Albany. My wife and I went a few times. You know, I wasn't hunting because when I did, I was dedicated to it. I mean, and I got a phone, I got a phone call from a cast in Troy, Alabama. I believe it was Troy, and they said, Mark, we got a problem here in the woods, and, and we just want to talk to you about it. And I said, listen, you know, I'm supposed to be the guy that makes y'all play by the rules. you got to go back to the clubhouse and assemble a panel. And they said, yeah, we don't trust none of them. And everybody's <laughs> agreed. Everybody's agreed that we can just tell you what happened on the phone. And everybody's agreed that whatever you – Heavy yeah, hangs yeah. the head that wears the crown, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 over time, and I loved every one of those guys, you sure, know, sure, and, and even the ones, even the ones I didn't like, I loved. If that I, makes any I, sense, I understand. You respected what but, they did. You loved the activity that they right. were involved well, with, and you know, they were people that always skirted the rules or or. Mm-hmm. Stayed on the fence of them, and 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 over time, you know, it, it was hard to like them. But 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 I still, you know, gave them a chance. You know, I did. When when a question come up, you know, I I listened to them. 
But but over time, all that stuff started to to get to me a little bit, and and I had kids growing up, and I, I, I but but I I won a lot with Dan. I had some other good. I had talk about those dogs. Tell us about. I had a dog I bought from Cleve Ferguson in Texas. Oh yeah, Jimmy and Cleve. That's right. Cleve and I were good friends, and I think I think I actually wound up getting a dog from Eddie Muse. Eddie got him Mm -hmm. Cleve on the way to me, and and Eddie Muse had him a little bit. It's a blue English dog named Tick Tock Dot, and and I remember it was a little bit of soreness there because. He was the money leader in Texas, and I was, and and I did a lot of winning with Doc. I tried to keep two pretty good high. Then I had the reserve, the 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 super stakes champion, and a reserve super stakes champion. One of them name was Prime Time Dick. He's a giant ninety something pound walking dog, mm. and I bought him and brought him home and. Placed in the Winter Classic, oh, I think it was in the Oakma van he placed in it. And on the way home, my the guy that was handling was my first cousin. He said, Mark, he said, you know, I didn't see nothing, but I, I'm suspicious of that dog, that, of that dick dog. And I said, why? And he said, well, it was a female, had to cast one. And we got to the tree. She was off the tree and her nose was bleeding. And so... <laughs> I hadn't saw him. I, we hadn't hunted him, but a few days in, and and uh, we were on Gillianville Plantation a few nights later. Not you know, not far from where the Winter Classic was headquartered. And, yeah, and, and I've hunted out there off of Gillianville Highway in that American. That's right. This, this uh, was that Southern Heritage Plantation. plantation that's right. There. It, mm. That's a nice place. All yeah. those places are great. I oh, love yeah. to hunt them because it was open. It's it's rougher country up there where I'm at. More I got briars you. Mm-hmm. And bogs and, but anyway, Dan, my lifetime favorite, was treed up on a hill, and the moon was kind of all come lumbering up there and just hopped right on him. And and by the time my friend knocked me off of him, I was standing on his neck with a pistol to his head. I told him I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have anything like that. And they talked me out of shoot me and i i know that's frowned upon now but back then it, as you well know that happened a lot to mean dogs but anyway i wound up and sold him and got my money back and uh and then i bought a little dog named Forrest, and he was i think the first nine casts we hunted him and he's he never scored less than 400 plus. He was a beautiful blanket back, big mouth walker dog. That if I had had the ambition, I'm I feel sure I could have done great things with. But I was that was in that period of time that I was just running out of gas. I think actually I sold I kept the forest dog and sold him. To a friend of mine, and he hunted him up a little bit, and I think he won night champion, or, or he won night night champion, a grand night or something at the at the winter classic with mm-hmm. him a few weeks after I sold him. But I went through a lot more dogs, and most of the 
you know, most everybody you interviewed, I was a hunter. I didn't, I wasn't really interested in breeding. And so I went through dogs until I found what I felt like I could win in the hunts with. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Okay. I think that um, <laughs> let's let's go into what I'm going to call the main event right here in this podcast. But let's lay a little bit of, uh, of background. You, your town or your uh, where you were, were raised is how far from Plains, Georgia? I'm right now where I'm standing. I'm about six miles from Plains. Okay, I came. I've driven up through that area and all. How far are you from Americas? About about nine miles. I got you. Well, this is kind of interesting, Mark, because yesterday I was talking to a young man, a coon hunter, and I'm not going to embarrass him. I'd say he's about 28 years old. And I asked him if he knew who Jimmy Carter was. And he (laughs) said, said no, (laughs) I do not. Yes, sir. Most of my listeners are kind of long in the tooth like I am, or a lot of them are, will remember, of course, Jimmy Carter. He was the 39th president of the United States. Uh, He served from 19—he won a Nobel Prize uh, for his humanitarian work back in 2002. And uh, he was born, of course, in Plains, Georgia, October 1st of 1924. So that makes him 98 years old now, and we'll yes, send sir. send out birthday wishes to President Carter, 98 years old. That's pretty amazing. I, my mother passed in March, and she made it to 100, 100 years and 11 days. So I kind of got an idea, you know, of, of what that in, entails. And, of course, uh, President Carter, or as you call him, Jimmy, uh, Mr. Jimmy, he yes. was also the 76th governor of the state of Georgia from 71 to 75. So, yes, sir. Uh, or whatever your father's or however yeah. you want to approach it, uh, Mark, about your so- of association with uh, the 39th president of the United States. My father went, grew up with him this you know the same time period and and you know even though it was probably when where mr jimmy nam's farm was when they were kids to to where my family's farm is is it's probably six miles maybe seven he he went to a little small school right here in the community but then eventually you know if he was going to go to high school, he had to go to Plains. And, and a lot of that was walking, you know. But but he and Mr. Jimmy went to high school together. And, uh, and, and, and as time wore on, you know, after the war, they, they did, you know, when Daddy come home, they did business together. And Mr. Jimmy had a buying point in Plains, and Amy was about – the same age as I am, his youngest daughter. And, uh, and, and when we sold peanuts to Mr. Jimmy's, you know, 
peanut buying point. And, uh, and I actually, believe it or not, my picture was on the wall in his office. Uh, when, you know, uh, 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 when I was four or five years old, somebody had me in a, in a pair of overalls and they got a picture that wound up myself and my first cousin wound up on his wall. And I can remember as a child running in there and climbing up in his lap because I knew he was going to get me a six ounce Coca-Cola and dump, pe- you know, dump those peanuts in it. For me to, <laughs> that's another great and, Southern tradition, right there. That's right. He, I, <laughs> I would climb in his lap, you know. And of course, my daddy would fuss, you know, and say, "Don't do that, Jimmy." But he would always get me a, you know, get a coke and drink that Coca Cola and try to catch them peanuts when they come out, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we just grew up in with him and. When he left, when he went to be inaugurated, my parents went to the governor's mansion. And, and when, uh, when he went to be inaugurated and he forgot his mother, he, he came, <laughs> he actually forgot his mother when he went to be inaugurated somehow or another, Miss Lillian. And, uh, he, he got the secret service to, to leave him at, at our house when he went, when it, you know, when they went back to get her. He's, you know, he stayed there with us while the Secret Service went back to to pick up his mother. And I actually was in that old safe at the house, and I sent you a picture of a, a letter that he sent my father in 1977 when they were yep. doing some farm negotiating. You know, it was, I think the farmers were st- threatening the strike then, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't meet with sensible person and uh he he wrote daddy a letter thanking him for for coming to calm people you know calm everything down but uh but but, i mean it's a lifelong relationship and and he and i share for his 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 public politics he and i share nothing and ignore my father. I mean, we're <laughs> polar opposites on on the politics, the political face he shows the public. But in private, we're, he's a lot. I won't go too far into that. But he's a lot more like, he's a lot more like we are. He's an old Southern Democrat at heart. But but party politics has affected him as well. Sure. Absolutely. I'm sure it would have yeah. to. Well, you know, it was pretty uh, pretty big news in the South, you know, to have a president. Uh, and, of course, yes, he, sir. the media uh, called him, you know, a peanut farmer. And like you know, I don't, I don't imagine that was always a term of endearment. You know, if you're a a New York Times reporter or whatever, but for the people in the heartland, I think they were proud uh, that that Jim, a, a man from Georgia, was president of the United States, and uh, I think everybody said. Uh, regardless of whether they agreed with his politics or not, that he was basically a good man. And as I mentioned, yeah, and I mentioned earlier, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, so. Somehow in politics, and and I'm not saying that I'm unaffected by it myself, 
foot about a year ago at the Capitol. I walked in and got surprised. I just went up there to talk to some politicians. They asked me to speak to them. And, uh, and, and, and I told, I told the Democrats in the Senate, I said, I passed people like me down the hall. There's nobody in this room like me. I don't agree with y'all's policies. But somehow or another, we've been lured in the, in the, in the believing that you got to hate somebody because you don't. And, mm. and Mr. Jimmy and I, there was a time when we were really close and, uh, and, and he knew that, that I stood way to the right of everything, you know, that he said in public. But, but he and I still had a wonderful time and a wonderful friendship. And, and we talked about a lot of things that I can't share, but, but sure. a lot of things, a lot of things that, 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 that I could. He, ne- he never would tell me how deep a nuclear submarine would dive. I must ask. <laughs> <laughs> I must have asked him five Or as times, he would you know, say, nuclear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would I surprise him, you know, and say, All right, how deep will a nuclear cell die? And he he'd say, I can't tell you that more, but it's deep. That's about. <laughs> and and I, I recall one particular hunt and, and I Well let's do the before I, you jump into that, let let's lay a little foundation for that. How on when did I know that you have coon hunted with Jimmy Carter. Yes, sir. And I, I imagine you're probably the first guy to take him coon hunting, maybe. Or do you think he hunted some when he was a boy? As a, as a president, I know I was. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. but now I, I never asked him about coon hunting prior to, to he just, and, and you know, I had. I had a, some notoriety. I'd done well in, in some hunts and, and, uh, and, and I had some notoriety and, and, and he knew me well. And, and I think, I think he scuffled with the secret, secret service a little bit about the security aspect of it. But, but now this was we, after he was retired. I mean, after his, his that's term, right. right? That That's right. Just, this was probably, and and I'm not good with years or dates, but I would say it was probably 30 years ago, 90, 94, 93, mm-hmm. something like that. And he just out of the blue, he called me and said, <laughs> said, Mark, don't you take me to him? I said, well, you just am when you're ready. And, uh, and it started like that. And, and I think he was actually looking for, and I'm sure you'll understand this, but I think he was looking for something to help him write about something. Oh, uh uh-huh. I I don't think, but I think later on, he was endeared to it. A friend Uh of mine, when I sort of retired from it, a friend of mine took him another time to He's actually a cousin of mine that took him, took him another, maybe once or twice. But, but I think he was, he was looking for material and experiences uh-huh. to write about. He conveyed something like that to me, but I'm not, I can't remember exactly what his words were, but we went 
we went several times and and i mean we had a lot of fun and eventually over time snakes and water boxing you know i'd say well, you ain't gonna, we ain't gonna run up on no terrorists out here i said we might stumble up on an alligator or something might have to beat him off off of us or something but you know when speak that simple country and you could hear them over there discussing it, you know. But <laughs> I told them, and I had it, and it'd just be wrong not to mention this one. We had, I had a, a female that went with us. She actually works in counterfeit and fraud now, I think. But, uh, but her, her name was Misty, and I called her Misty the Secret Service Lady. And she went with me. More than once, she was she was working the night that he and I went coon hunting, and uh, and Misty the Secret Service lady, I had I had her complete faith. You know, it they'll tell you that they gonna give you some freedom, and then you look up and they they slipping around, skittering around out there in the darkness, you know, trying to keep it, trying to watch us. But after over time. They eventually realized that they were just out of their element. And, and I told them, I said, the safest place he is is with me right now. If we go to New York, I'll let y'all take over. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he and I, he and I got to share a lot of private time where he could be himself and, and, and I could be too. Well, it, it you know, your special time. Yeah. It was. It had to be. And we're talking about the once leader of the free world, you know, the, right, at one time the most powerful was, man in the world from between 1977 and 1981. He was the man. And, it, uh, you know, and what I want you to do, I don't want to leave anything out. What time you went, I think the first time you told me this story, I was just really fascinated by your description of what it was like to go on a coon hunt with a former president of the United States with a, a Secret Service uh, uh, envoy there. Or, uh, 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 that's not the word I want. But anyway, with the, all it the Secret Service. convoy. Convoy, okay. First, well, just, convoy just describe it a little bit, can you? Well, I think the first time we went, we went down on Pine Bloom Plantation. And Craig Hart was mm. one of my, probably my closest hunting partner. And, yeah. And, well, there were several of them, but he was my next door neighbor. And his brother-in-law was a guide on Pine Bloom Plantation. It's, it's like nine miles long and four miles wide. And a, a giant, you know, piece of property. And so we decided to take Mr. Mr. Jimmy down there and, and that first trip, it, you know, you didn't see but maybe one suburban and one car, you know, following us around. Of course, they never enter. I don't know how many people know this, but, but they aren't allowed to interact in any way. I mean, they are forbidden from conversation or, or any interaction with the president or the party he's with unless that business is security or his well-being or his schedule. That's the only time 
they're allowed to intervene in anything. And the first night we went, you know, I could see that one suburban and, and the one car, but there was cars and suburbans and it wrote them. I said, listen, you know, we can't tree a coon hiding in the bushes. And, and eventually we, I think we treed three or four coons that night, but I had a dog, I had Pine Creek Dan and I had a dog named Forrest who, and I, I really hate to admit it. He was out of, he was out of a, a dog called Mercy Creek Tom, mm-hmm. a man named Frank Granberry on Mercy Creek Tom. Mm-hmm. And, and I hunted with Tom a lot of nights and I never, I never liked Mercy Creek Tom, but but he threw, he, if I'm not mistaken, he threw two or three world champions. He, he, he did, he was a, a really good reproducer. Mm-hmm. And this forest dog was one of the best dogs that I ever hunted with or owned. And, uh, by a long shot, it, it was just a shame that, that my career in coon hunting was waning when, when I acquired him. But, uh, but anyway, that was the, it was Dan and Forrest and, and of course, Mr. Jimmy, he, he liked Forrest, I think, because of, of the similarity with Forrest and Forrest Gump. But, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, I would give him a pair of snake proof waders that I had Paul Sheffield specially built my waders. I would take a pair of Rocky boots, just regular, regular old Rocky. And he would sew me the waiter tops on. Right. And the first pair or so, we had a lot of trouble getting them the waterproof at that seam, you know, where they sewed right. the tops on. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you know, we solved it. And to this day, I don't understand why somebody isn't making them now. But but uh, but I always kept two or three pair around. And Mr. Jimmy, I would give him a, I'd give him a light and. Uh, Basil Kittle made my lights back then, bandit, right? Bandit lights, and and I would give him a bandit light and a pair of waders, and he would dress up just like a real live coon hunter, and and, and we'd go to the woods, and we talked about everything, everything under the sun, Eat a little bit of politics, and <laughs> and mostly and mostly life lessons, but uh, but. But it was a special time. One, uh, probably the third time we went to Pine Bloom, or the second time maybe, there was a there was a an agent that was off duty, and uh, he wasn't working that night. But he grew up coon hunting with his grandfather in Louisiana, and and I, I I'm one of those people. I they're just not. Many people that I hold, or probably nobody that I hold in awe, or, or right, I have respect, but I, but I don't, I don't really look up to anyone. And and uh, so one of those agents eased up to me while Mister Jimmy was in there doing a tour in the carriage house. You know, they were looking mm-hmm. at the quail hunting mm-hmm. buggies. You know, and uh, that agent eased up to me and he said, "Mark," he said. I got a guy over here, you know, he, he, he's, he's attached to, to Mr. Jimmy or the president Carter is what they call me said, but he's off duty. And he went coon hunting with his grandfather as a child and his grandfather's passed away. And, 
he hadn't been able to experience anything like that in several years and 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 he'd like to go along he says he won't participate in the hunt and he'll stay out of sight he just wants to hear those dogs and i told him i said come you know I, the guy had pulled up i said come come with me and we walked over where mr jimmy was and you know this agent right here and he said sure i do i said he's my guest tonight and uh just as just as much as you are i said you know i believe all men are you know are equal and i said tonight he's going he's going to be a part of this hunt just like you are on equal foot i know he's attached to you and i know y'all got rules but he's not working tonight and he he wants to go coon hunt so he's he's going he's going to be my guest as well of course mr jimmy looked up at me like i was crazy and he said that ain't no big deal. That ain't no big deal at all. And and I think that endeared a lot of those Secret Service agents that heard that exchange, you know, between he and I. And, of course, that guy went, and a few weeks later, he brought me some Secret Service coin, you know, some gold Secret Service coin. They were, he was so taken by it. But, but uh, you That's know, probably great. an experience that he would have never they sure. would have never, never had. And, well, I want to – oh, go ahead, please. I had one other experience with a – it was Misty the Secret Service lady. And, and this giant guy, he was about 6'8 or 6'9. He was an agent as well. And it was about this time of the year. And Mr. Jimmy wanted to go, and 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 I got a certain – amount of enjoyment out of pulling up that security gate and blowing the horn, you know, in an old pickup truck with a dog box on the back. And of course, they'd ask me to state my business, and I'd say, man, open that gate, me and Mr. Jimmy's fixing to go pony <laughs> And I'm sure it was a certain amount of disgust to some of them, but I would, I would kind of make their business plain, you know, every day up and say, man, we're going to go coon hunting open this gate. And uh, I went and picked Mr. Jimmy up and that night only Misty and the, and the big guy went. I had never met this guy he's from New York. And uh, we I, we flipped down out in a in a gum swamp down there where you talking about around Albany. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. They got cypress ponds and the creeks oh, yeah. are sandy with hard bottoms up here. It's gum swamps. <laughs> And you wave in everything up to your knees in mud. And, yeah. and Mr. Jimmy had brought his grandkids, about three or four grandkids. And I flipped Dan out by himself, and he went in that right smack dab in the middle of that gum swamp and treated a coon. And I told Mr. Jimmy, I said, you know, just let me walk out there because, you know, it's that old grass with those tussets in it. Yeah. There'd be water moccasins laying up on them. You walk through that knee-deep in water, you know, and you above the snake-proof part of that wader. I said, what about just letting me walk out there and look and see if he's got a coon? If he does, we'll get up a couple of us. We'll tote those kids out there. So I took off and, and was wading out there, and I heard something splashing behind me. And I turned around and looked back, and Mr. Jimmy and a line of grandkids was right behind me. And those kids were wasting deep in the water, you know, and of course, 
I look back and this big guy, he's about six, seven or eight, might have been six long, with a mag light holding it straight up over his head at arm's length, trying to keep that light on Mr. Jimmy. I stopped what I was doing and went out, went around Mr. Jimmy and him, and I told him, I said, I'm going to tell you what you better do. I said, you better take that light and watch where you're going. I said, Mr. Jimmy's got a light, and he's right there with me, and he's going to be okay, but you're going to fall on something that'll stick you out here, and, you know, better <laughs> look where you're going. And we, <laughs> we saw that coon and left. He was standing there with his mag light, you know, playing with the coon, and Mr. Jimmy and I just – Turned around, walked off with our, you know, it, he had hunted with me enough then that, you know, it was, he had become used to it. And he and I walked off and, and we're having our conversation about whatever it was at that time. And, uh, and, and this, and <laughs> he come running through those woods with that mag light at arm's length above his head. Which I was a, I mean, he was a big guy. It looked like a TV tower light or something. <laughs> but he come running that spring head that about six foot deep and about six foot across, and and he 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 was not probably not running wide open, but he was in a good fast run when he went off. He went off in that ditch, and his face hit the other side of that wall. Mm. And honestly, I don't know how it didn't break his back. And I told Mr. Jimmy, I said, excuse me a minute, Mr. Jimmy. And I turned around and walked back to that ditch, and he was pushing himself back up to get on his feet. And I leaned over in that ditch and looked at him. I said, I told you the best thing for you to do is take that light and make sure you see where you're going with it. I got Mr. Jimmy. He looked up and he looked up at me out of that ditch, his face and his head was covered with dirt. He looked up at me and he said, you right, boss. I'm going to look where I'm going from now on. <laughs> and that was the reason why I think he he, he just never was working the nights. We I got went. you. But, but we we had a lot of talks and about a lot of subjects. Well, let and me it, interrupt you real quick. I think the interesting thing about that story is how that coon – so fascinated that Secret Service agent that he let you and the president walk off and <laughs> didn't oh, realize yeah. it while he was mesmerized by that raccoon in the tree. I, I think he was from <laughs> New York City, and it was so far that, that it, nothing like that, I'm sure, had ever occurred in his life, nor did he ever probably didn't desire to experience it or ever even think of that experience occurring but, for sure but yeah yeah i i we we went a lot of times and and uh craig hart and myself and michael feltman and there's a picture i didn't take enough pictures mr steve i, I it, you know i'm so sick of time and, and i and i should have yes. took a lot more pictures but but there's one picture of, of uh, that I use sometimes my profile picture on Facebook, and it's myself and Mr. Jimmy, Craig Hart, Riley Etchell, and Michael Feltman. And right, mm. and 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 when I took that picture and looked at it, I just, or this actually a Secret Service agent took it for us, but 
But I would have never dreamed that Mr. Jimmy and I are the only two of, of that hunting party left alive. Oh, Everybody mm. else is the dogs, Craig Hart, Michael Feltman, and Raleigh Etchell, all are deceased. And they were a lot closer to my age than they were Mr. Jimmy's. I never dreamed that, that right. Mr. Jimmy and I would be the only two the only two left alive. Do you recall without you know, getting too personal, some of the conversations that you and Jimmy had. One of the things that he have questions about the dogs, what are the dogs doing, and which one is that, and was he at well, all interested was, in that at all? It was, they were, the first few times, the first few times we went, maybe, well, probably not the first few times, the first few drops. He would say, "Or oh, which one's that?" And I say, "That's Dan." And Dan would, Dan, sounded like he was fussing the whole time. He had a big ball mouth, and he fall on the tree. And uh, and mm-hmm. Forrest had a little bit deeper voice, and it was huge as well. And they, it was just they were so easy to, to dist- tell what they mm-hmm. were. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was so easy to call. And Forrest was a ball mouth tree dog, too. But, I mean, it, both of them would, would hit with a, with a giant locate. And, and I mean, it, I'm like, I'm right. I mean, when, when either one of those hounds and everybody that knows me knows I wouldn't own one that, that wasn't real. And when either one of them, when they located, that was it. And they didn't move. Mm-hmm. I'm, Mm-hmm. literally would not move. Right. And so it was it was pretty easy. Except, you know, on a dry night when it was really dry, or or coons weren't moving and they were working out old tracks or something, you know, it was a lot of times it was hard for me to tell what was going oh, on yeah. him, but, sure. but but it was he, he had some fascination with it. And he he every every time we'd go hunting, he'd write me a letter. And uh, and actually, my first cousin is his personal secretary. And I asked her, I said, how many of them things he auto pin? And she said, I don't let him auto pin nothing. He don't, I don't like stuff not being genuine. But every time we'd go coon hunting, he'd write me a letter. Or he, he'd written some books, and he would inscribe, you know, the inside the cover of that book and write, you know, a pretty lengthy letter about, some of the experiences that night and and I probably should have prepared myself for this a little better by going back and reading some of those inscriptions or some of the letters but we'll but, have uh, to do that on another episode uh, Mark that's we right. can definitely but, uh, do that they they those things I you know I get them in the mail and I knew and I was road shit. and it was a guy now that had a letter from, I think it was from Eisenhower that Eisenhower had written his father, mm-hmm. and some of the things that they used in that, and and when they were valuing that letter was personal experience, and did Eisenhower actually know, you know, the person he was writing the letter to, and it, it was like three or four thousand, and and then all of a sudden, I mean, this was, you know, thirty years ago, and. They said that letter was worth 
But he knew he was doing me a favor. And I was sitting there saying, he called me on the phone and told me that. I don't know why he write, keep writing, you know, letters because he had my cell phone number and I had his at that time. And I, he could just call me and he kept writing those letters. And I didn't realize what he was doing until after I saw that episode of the Antique Roadshow. The first time that he went with me was he he requested to go hunting with me and it it gave him some freedom i made sure that he had some freedom and 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 i don't think most people understand just how compromised someone in his position's private life is i mean they're right i mean they're in the bathroom with you there everywhere you go but after he went that first time, he had a ball, and I made sure he did. And we joked and laughed and talked about a lot of things that I I wouldn't feel comfortable saying, and and you know because of his privacy. But 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 we had a lot of fun, and then eventually, every time I went, because back then I went, you know, almost every night, and. Uh, but but uh, probably once every other week, of course, he had engagements all over the world. You know, at that time, he was still out and about. And I would know where he was gone. But but when I saw the opportunity, you know, he'd say, well, you know, I'm fixing to go here, but I'll be back in a week. And then I'm going to have two weeks at home. And I say, OK. And I'd call him, you know, when tell me what night you want to go. And uh and we'd make a trip. You know, I was going anyway, but but we would try to make it easier. You know, he was in his seventies then, probably, or yeah, probably in his seventies. And and I would try to take him somewhere where it was easier walking and not so many briars and gum swamps. You know, I'd take him where the creek bottoms was hard, but but also. I think one of the reasons or what endeared him to me in hunting was is I made absolutely sure, and I, have, I, I I touched on this a little bit while ago, but I have a moderate amount of disgust for idolizing people. And, uh, and, and I made sure that he was treated no differently than anybody else in that hunting party. Now, if if something, you know, if 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 something arose, then then I would have done anything to keep him out of danger myself. But but I made sure he pulled his weight and and he was treated like a normal person. We joked and laughed, and I didn't treat him like he was the president of the United States. Hmm. And I think. I think he enjoyed and appreciated that. And as the trust built, you know, every time I'd go and have a new secret serviceman, I would tease him a lot about alligators and 
snakes. And then I'd say, you know, I, I mentioned this before. I'd say, when he's out here, he's safest with me. If we go to New York, I'm going to turn him over to y'all. But right <laughs> now, the best thing happened to Mr. Jimmy. I mean, I, y'all just here working. I grew up with him. And I'd have to lo- live in this community without him. And he's a draw to a lot of He's a draw to a lot of these businesses here, you know, little sure. little cottage businesses <laughs> that popped up. And I said, I, I, I can't, I can't pull up in planes and say I let Mr. Jimmy get snake bit last night, you know. <laughs> and I said, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of it. Yeah, you, I hadn't know. thought about and, that and, angle, but you were taking risks for sure when you. Uh, that's right. But, yeah, but it's time, it's time won my trust in some of, especially like Misty. That grew up in Louisiana, they, you know, I gained their trust and, and I carried a pistol with me everywhere I went and nobody ever said a word. But eventually it gave Mr. Jimmy and I time, you know, after maybe the third trip or so, we could, we could slip away and it just, you know, it'd just be he and I. Yeah. And, and they, you know, I mean, they might be 300 yards or 400 yards away, but, some, you know, it gave us privacy and it gave my chance to be yourself and not feel pressured by presences of sure, people. Sure. It was just, and he, we had a lot of private and personal conversations. Uh, we talked about, we talked about a lot of things, but, but most of it, most of our conversations revolved around small town stuff that, mm-hmm. That really didn't interest people. And you know, it, it's absolutely a fantastic story to me just to think that you took the president of the United States. I took honey. him a lot of times. Yeah, we, we had always had good hunt. We had a lot of fun, and and it's yeah, it means a lot to me now. I didn't. I never thought about. I never thought about it coming to an end. Yeah, you know, well, really, I never realized we'd run out of time and. I just want to go shake his hand and, yeah. and tell him that I enjoyed mine and his time together in life. You know, that, that it right. was special. And well, Mark, uh, when we started on this journey here on this podcast, I didn't realize we were going to have some a uh, Kang Tankers recorder here, and I, and this is a new one, and. Uh, uh, a replacement <laughs> so uh, i don't know if i talk so much that i wear these things out I, I don't know what the problem is but at any rate we were talking about uh, you and president jimmy carter and and i asked you did he usually call you when the two of you would go coon hunting and you responded to that and then i think that uh, you wanted to to expound on that just a little bit and then get into uh, something that you you said you'd like for us to cover, right? He he, Mr. Jimmy did ask me the first time. He he called me, and you know I had a moderate amount of notoriety at that time for being a coon hunter, and he he did call me and ask me. And uh, from that point on, you know it it just kind of turned into he and I be a coon hunting buddies but you know he had he was still active and he had engagements and and eventually i learned to schedule and he or he would call me and say i'm gonna be 
here for a week or two weeks and then I'll have a week at home. And I would call him, you know, on the weeks he was home and just say, all right, Mr. Jimmy, you know, I go every night. You tell me when you want to go. And and we tried to pick places when he went that, that had a few more coons and the hunting was a little bit easier. But, but one of the things that I did and it was important to me and I think it in it, it endeared Mr. Jimmy to me was I made sure that he was treated like an average person. I made sure he pulled his own weight and I wouldn't allow him to get in, in any danger, but, but I made sure that, that he was treated just like anybody else in the hunting party. And, uh, and I think he enjoyed that. And as time passed, you know, it become more of a routine with the Secret Service men that were attached to him. And, and we began to get more freedom. And it gave he and I, a time, you know, some time alone to talk about things. Most of it was, was local things, you know, or, or things when I was younger. And, uh, and, and I think he enjoyed the privacy. I don't think people realize how intrusive having secret service agents attached to your ears. I, I probably would, couldn't stand it. Yeah, but, uh, I can but, imagine. But we, 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 we built a special relationship because he could be, he could be normal again. And, and, and I made sure I gave him that opportunity. And I think, I think he loved me for it. Yeah, I, I'm sure, sure he appreciated did. that very much. Yeah. Very. Okay, Mark, we've been at this over an hour, and uh, it's a, a terrific story, one that I've wanted to record for a long time, and I do appreciate so much you being uh, willing to, to come on and to, to share uh, your relationship. And I know as, you know, the cycle of life winds down, and Mr. Carter at 98 years old, obviously just not going to be with us that much longer, but it, it's a great story. And I'm sure one our listeners appreciate. Now you told me that you had something you wanted to share before we go. I do. It, it, it's, it's not much. I just wanted to, to kind of shout out to my friends, Buzz Register, Nick Alberson, Steve Parrish, Dennis Griffin, Gary Elliott, and a million more of them, and say it was an honor to travel through time with that group of men. Yes. It was. I wouldn't trade my experiences with those people for anything. Right. You know, you don't really realize it, but but we all traveling through time together, and and I wouldn't trade my experiences with those people and our times together or anything in the world. It was one of the best times in my life. And, and they were part of the reason. And, and there's more than, than those people. You know, so a lot of them are deceased now. Paul Sheffield, Craig Hart, Johnny Gosey, Woody McCorkle. Uh, there's a lot of them that are deceased. And I missed a lot of live ones too. But, but those were my closest. That was my few, and uh, yeah. And I just want to make sure they know I loved it. Sure. And them, and them. Absolutely. They, 
they were good to me. Sure. Well, I'm sure, and they felt the same way about you, Mark. And that's a, a sentiment that we should all think about. We should all think about the people involved in this sport that, that have made it so great for us all to enjoy. Mark Israel, it has been an absolute delight to have you on the program uh, this week. I know our listeners are going to love your stories, and uh, I hope that we I can get that commitment uh, from you to come back on. I know you're a busy, busy man, and uh, I'm sure it'll take you a long time <laughs> to answer all the calls and, and texts and everything that have accumulated while we've spent this hour and a half or whatever, but buddy... Thank you so much for coming on. I do appreciate it. And uh, hey, it was an honor to be asked by you. I, it was a lot of famous people you've interviewed, and to even be considered to be a guest among those people and by you. I oh, said it before, it. and I'll say it again. You're the only one. And I mean, there's been a few. People that came and went, but you're the only one that stood the test of time, and uh, and you're an icon in oh, in, it, in this business. Well, and and, it, and and I'm not I'm not I don't I don't say things I don't mean. I it's know. an honor to be invited to be to be a guest. I wouldn't know why anybody would want to hear anything I had to say. Oh, but, I'll assure you that they've enjoyed this this uh, weekend. And, you know, Mark, uh, we all, I, I think, tend to think that way, but we all have a story. And it, it's uh, that story's worth telling of a wife, uh, wife <laughs> of a life well-lived and uh, a, a life entwined with coon hunting and coon hunters and, and, and hounds and all that. It's been a very special life for me. And I know it has been for you, and uh, we're just blessed, aren't we, brother? Yes, sir. I agree. Well, Mark, I have I a agree. way. I have a way of closing this thing out all the time, and uh, our uh, my listeners know uh, where this is going. If anyone asks you where this old coon hunter, this old worn out uh, coon hunter with a million miles or more on him, where is he? Where where has he gone? Well, the answer is simple. He's gone to the dogs. <laughs>